Welcome to the Sherry Sylvester Show. Officially, this is episode two, but for those of you who have been following Ninth in Congress for the last year, it's actually episode 19. In the recent primary election battles across the country, it has become increasingly clear that Americans have lost their faith in politicians and government. Almost 70% of Americans have had it with our entire process, so much so that coming out of Iowa, a large share of voters said they wanted a candidate who would preside over a, quote, disruption of the whole thing. With polarization, stupid speak, and spin at an all-time high, you can see how folks would feel that way. But to those people, I say, watch when the Texas State Senate is in session. The Texas Senate is a lesson in how democracy is supposed to work. Strong opinions can frequently be heard across the political spectrum, but, when res but respect for collaboration and an intelligent approach to solving problems prevails. History and tradition, the leadership of our Lieutenant Governor, and commitment to serving Texas are all reasons for that. But another force in making that happen is my guest today, Texas State Senator Paul Betancourt, a Republican from Houston. Senator Betancourt was first elected to the state Senate in 2014, taking the seat previously held by Lieutenant Governor Patrick. In the decade prior to that, he served as Harris County Tax Assessor Collector starting in 1999-98. The phrase, nobody knows more about, is often used in tandem with Senator Betancourt's name. Nobody knows more about property taxes. Nobody knows more about election law. Nobody knows more about local government. And I would add from my experience, nobody knows more about Harris County politics than Paul Betancourt. Senator, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. But with that introduction, the show's over. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not news to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if not, we'll try to make some news. So, so you are chair of the local government committee in the Senate. All politics is local. Quite. <laughs> so how did you get in? We know you when you were elected. You were. Uh, tell me about your first election in 2014. Was that easy? I don't remember. I was working on the other elections. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it came down to uh, a, a call that I actually got from Lieutenant Governor Patrick, who at the time was a senator, and he was about ready to run for lieutenant governor. And uh, I had turned down running for a lot of jobs, uh, Congress repeatedly, because uh, I didn't feel like the productivity was worth the time. But the Senate job was always something that was fascinating to me. So uh, he said, look, I'm running. You know, you, you have a brief period of time to make up your mind. Um, and uh, I went home to uh, tell my wife and uh, that I was, uh, I wanted to run. And she said, this is a lot better job than tax assessor where you were civilly liable for $5 billion. <laughs> and we didn't find out about it till after you got elected. So <laughs> she checked off and, uh, I ran in 94, um, excuse me, 2014. Um, and, uh, that, that was after, uh, being tax assessor for 10 years, uh, from 1998 to 2008. And I remember your name ID was real high, so you had that advantage going in. Everybody knows who the tax assessor collector is because your name's Well, that's because, uh, you know, still in the state of Texas, you write out the name of the tax assessor. Now, uh -huh. that was because 100 years ago, they used to take a percentage off the top to fund their office, but then they couldn't remember their money from the government's money. A bunch right. of them got indicted, so they changed the 
the actual payment structure because some of those, uh, humorously, they were getting a percentage. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you collect $5 billion, a small percentage of $5 billion would have been ridiculously high. Uh, so that all got changed, but the but you still write out even to this day the name of your tax assessor when you're writing down property tax checks. Right, people know who they are. Well, one of the funny stories, since we're, we're doing funny stories, I'll get Absolutely. to Absolutely. Um, about in my eighth or ninth year as tax assessor, a guy walked in from out of town and he said, who do I make the check out to? And, they, and the clerk said, you make it out to Paul Betancourt. And I said, oh, is he like an institution? Is he dead? <laughs> and so they, I, so I went over to meet him. I said, not yet. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, but anyway, so but that was good training uh, because uh, really all politics is local, but all good government uh, policy can be back to doing real things for real people. And so you need to really understand what's going on in your home county. Even, you know, to uh, uh, when you look back on it, um, when I when I was uh, the first Republican ever elected in Harris County's history since Reconstruction as a tax assessor. Wow. So, wow. so been around a while. Well, how did you get involved just jumping here? I know you and Senator Patrick or Governor, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, uh, before uh, he was in office, but was it before you were in office that the property tax buses happened? Well, actually, it was, uh, I'd been in office about five years, and the first big explosion in praise values and property taxes had really hit Harris County for about uh, since uh, 2001. And uh, people were very concerned about it, as they are to, you know, to this day. Uh, and uh, so he actually he came up with the idea of coming up with a couple buses. So he was bus captain on the first bus. I was the bus captain on the second bus. And the morning show host, Ed Hendy, who runs the uh, Taste Texas restaurant, uh, was uh, on the radio. And so we were literally vectored up with a whole bunch of people in private cars to come testify, uh, ran into potentially the worst committee chair I've ever met in my life guy named Fred Hill. And there's a lot of competition for that. There's a lot of competition, but this guy was like primo in class. And um, it was so horrible that he had everybody in the chair at eight o'clock. He proceeded to lecture to everybody. He showed how he passed the bill. Then he adjourned the committee, went to the floor of the house, came back and called one lobbyist after the next, refusing to call anyone for a tax reform bill. And about 2.57, I looked at the clock and I, because there were three freshman state reps that were sponsoring the bills. And I said, look, by three o'clock, I'm going to object because I'm expendable. You can throw me out, but who cares? And right then when I finished it, I heard Dan Patrick over in the auditorium voice saying, Mr. Chairman, I object. Uh -huh. So that bus trip really started Dan's interest in really doing something about the property tax business and government. So in some respects, we have Fred Hill to thank for the complete change in the direction of the Texas Senate and and the uh, and what we've been able to do for citizens like property tax relief, et cetera, because that's what got the start of Dan Patrick on uh, on his uh, journey to lieutenant governor. And you're right to credit his leadership, because that's uh, uh, when we when he first got there the, at the same time I did as as lieutenant governor. You know, we still had the blocker bill, which is the two-thirds vote. You couldn't bring anything up. Uh, at the time, that meant people with very liberal views were highly, highly empowered to block legislation. So we now have uh, are the place where conservative legislation passes, 
and it doesn't pass in the House. But back then, it was not the case. So it's been a lot of fun to be part of uh, of really what's made a lot of difference for uh, for individual Texans down to what's in their pocketbook. I think it's great. Yeah, it, it matters to people. It is it's changed the tenure. But but Chairman, how did you get into this? So you're, you began in 1998. Why did you run for tax assessor collector? I know you went to A and M. Were you involved well, in were, were you involved in politics at A and M? Well, that's where the. Do you come from a political family? So. Um, well, yes. It's uh, my mother was uh, very political. Uh, she uh, actually was a campaign manager uh, for people back in the 1970s in Houston, and back then that was. Uh, mostly Democrats, because there were barely enough Republican West Side neighborhoods that were voting at that time. Uh, so uh, she ran the campaign of Bud Hatfield later, who opened Quick Copy, you know, mm -hmm. a major, uh, major figure in business history in, the, in, in Texas. Uh, so she was interested in that. I was interested in politics at that age. I went to A&M and became a student politician, senator, vice president, you know, uh, president off-campus Aggies, uh, uh, you know, uh, judicial board chair, every job, but uh, actually the student body president for some reason. Um, and that's where the nickname Uncle Paul came. Mm -hmm. um, because like uh, John Belushi from Animal House, I packed a few extra years in my Senate, I mean, my uh, college education. And um, uh, and so uh, so I was active there and I then started volunteering with the Republican Party. Um, Is that because of your family? You were always conservative because you're a baby boomer like I am. Right. So we, that was going against the grain to do that. Well, and but but going against the grain now is my parents wondering, how do we have a socialist county judge in Harris County? They would be just appalled by that. Um, uh, a good friend and mentor, I think you met him uh, before he passed away, Mike Boylan, who mm -hmm. was a major donor, actually became my uncle at the time uh, politically. And uh, so I got involved in that, and I was the vice chairman of the party when Carl Smith died. He was a tax assessor that went to work in the tax office when Roosevelt was president. That was Te that was Franklin, not Teddy. And then he died in 1998 after 50 plus years of service. So I got nominated by the party, and that's how I got involved. I was in uh, actually in robotics process control and uh, automation business mm -hmm. beforehand. So it was a big, politics was a big shift for you. Well, it was part, it was, politics was like a hobby. I was like, I would volunteer, help people run their campaigns. I was actually Rod Page's uh, volunteer campaign for, manager. Former uh, Secretary of Education for, under the first George Bush. Right? When he ran for, um, uh, for District D and HISD. So, uh, and so basically, uh, it became um, uh, it became the job uh, when I, I took the uh, nomination of the party, and and was the last uh, and defeated the last Democrat that was a countywide office holder uh, at that time in 1998. Now, of course, everything's flipped back in less than 20 years, but it took literally 125 years since Reconstruction before Republicans could win countywide. Mm -hmm. And I was the, the last of the, uh, of the, uh, the last job to actually turn over was the tax office. Interesting. Well, you know, speaking of that socialist uh, leadership that you have in Harris County, <laughs> they've just uh, proposed a guaranteed income program in Harris. We're going to look at a little news clip from there. I want to get your thoughts about it. 
Harris County families, a lifeline is coming. Starting tomorrow, a new county guaranteed income program will take applications. For more than a year, families will receive $500 a month. It is a program that's already generating a lot of buzz. ABC 13's Nick Notario is live in Southwest Houston to explain how it all works. Nick? So here's the deal. You have to be 18, live in certain zip codes, and make a certain amount of money. And it'll help about 2,000 families. But there's a lot more demand than that. The County Health Department says that 30,000 people have inquired about the program. Knowing there's that kind of demand, we asked if the county's website is ready to handle the traffic tomorrow. $500 a month is coming to some Harris County families. Money they can use for whatever they want, including food, rent, and utilities. I think that'll be nice because a lot of people in Harris County need the extra bucks. If somebody need it, you can give it to them. But somebody doesn't need it, they got money already. So it's best to give to the poor people. It's part of the county's new Uplift Harris program. Around 1,900 families will receive $500 monthly income for a year and a half. You have to live in one of 10 zip codes, be 200% below the federal poverty line, which for a family of four is $60,000. The program is funded by $20 million in federal money. People can apply online starting tomorrow. We asked if the county website is ready. If it's not, people are going to be getting calls from me personally. I've been guaranteed it's going to be running. But, you know, websites, they can have glitches anytime. Economists say website issues may not be the only problem. Pilot programs like these are new, and the results are inconclusive. There's always the question of whether or not a policy like this might discourage somebody from getting out of the sort of adverse financial situation that they might be in. There's also the issue of undocumented people. Since the money is from the federal government, county leaders say undocumented individuals can't receive it. They're looking at options, including using county tax dollars on a second program. But some neighbors aren't so sure they'd support it. People here illegally, I don't think they should get any money because they haven't been in this economy. If you're immigrant, you know, they just came here. I think they need some help. So the website will start taking applications starting tomorrow morning at 9. Now, here's the deal. If the website crashes or has any issues, don't panic. You have until February 2nd to get your application in, and it is not first come, first serve. After all the applications come in, they're going to randomly select these 1,900 families, and they should start to receive the money by April. So they had a lot of words. You said you had one word. Socialism. Absolutely. No, look, I, I hadn't seen this report. I am so happy I wrote the letter to the attorney general because I have asked two questions. One, county government is not like a home rule city. They just can't invent today. Oh, I'm going to be in the universal basic income. I'm going to be in socialism today. Uh, they don't have that authority under the Texas Constitution. And two, that's a pure gift, Sherry. This is no strings attached, just hand out the money. And let's remember, you know, oh, it's only $500 a month. Well, multiply 500 times 18, that's $9,000. These are, this is not an insignificant gift that county government's handing to them. And oh, what happens when they run out of federal money? Well, of course, they're going to want to use property tax money. Um, well, and, they may use property tax money for illegals, is what I heard. Oh, not just may. The, the county judge, the Lena Odaga, who is, by the way, her own definition, a self-identified socialist, it's not good enough. Because, yes, they should be able to give money to, you know, to any migrant that crosses the border illegally. Well, why then stop at certain zip codes? Just hand it out like popcorn to everybody. And, of course, the question is, who are they handing the money to and why? Oh, is it the lucky few, 1,900 families that that get it? Or 
see, that's the news reports old. They, they cut off the applications of 48,000 because <laughs> when you give away government money for free, gee, everybody's going to sign up. But, but what happens to the other 46,100 people, the families that don't get the money? Who makes the decision? Well, oh, now it's a lottery. Well, but there's screening before you get to the lottery. Look, this is, you asked me before, why am I, why am I running? I have been a small government conservative for a long time. This stuff that you just saw drives me crazy because this is everything you don't want government to be. Take your money, give it away for free, no strings attached to somebody else. Oh, but we could give it away to illegal migrants too. Oh, but even some of the people getting the money are saying, well, I don't want money to go to them. I want it to go to me. Well, of course, it's pure socialism. So uh, we got a letter, Attorney General, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to the response because I know counties cannot just snap their fingers and say, oh, I'm a home rule city today and I can do, you know, make pass an ordinance and get into whatever universal basic income, oh, D-E-I-C-R-T, whatever three letter federal anacronym you, you want to get into. You just somebody has to say no. Well, and uh, so this is not covered by the Death, the Death Star Bill. Won't won't handle this. Well, I've talked we... to the my two lawyers, who's uh, you know Dustin Burroughs and and Brandon Creighton about it. Um, there are some aspects of it, but it but it may take a Death Star 2.0. And actually, you can see that at my uh, Twitter handle at Team Betancourt. Um, we actually uh, did a spoof about that, where we showed a new Death Star under construction. We're waiting for the AG to make sure. I think there's enough existing law that says the counties just can't do this. But um, but you never know. And part of my job is to look at this stuff, take a serious work, you know, review, get some bills together, have hearings. Yeah, we're talking in code. This is the bill that the legislature passed the last session that prohibits our big cities. I mean, Harris is like the fourth largest city in the country, right? Or Houston is. Well, no, Harris County is fourth largest, largest county. county. Houston's Houston. third largest city. Right. Uh, all our larger cities tend to be run by Democrats now. And so they have lots of different little uh, but sure. socialist... Uh, but if they were just Democrats, I could I could go talk to a moderate or liberal Democrat uh -huh. like, like John Whitmire running for mayor. OK, but these leftist progressive socialists, you can't talk to them about this stuff. They fundamentally believe what you just saw is absolutely right, that that there should be that instantaneous recycling of tax dollars to the lucky few winners that they decide to give the money to. <laughs> You yeah. can always also almost imagine the meeting. Well, we can't tell them what they have to spend it on. No, because that would it's be no strings attached. That would be condescending. No, which is why I think it violates the gift clause in the Texas Constitution. You just can't give federal. You can't give state money away. Now, look, the, you, you mentioned earlier in your in your introduction too about the frothy nature of politics. Okay, mm -hmm. yes. Every year, because uh, I've been doing a radio show now for 20 years on Fridays called The Three Amigos, but every year we think it's going to be less frothy than the last year. No, 2024 is clearly going to be the most frothy. But What do you mean frothy? I well, mean, frothy, frothy is, is like, like a frappuccino. Well, it's like a very hot, you know, cappuccino. Oh, I mean, oh, okay, boiling great. foam, you know, okay. it's it's beyond boiling. I mean, it's really frothy out there. Uh-huh. And, but... You have to have these fundamental discussions. You have to be able to say, no, you can't give away money 
on street corners, government money like this. And and you have to have a, oh, gee, you know, John Whitmire runs on an anti-crime message. But even he only won 42% of his last Democratic Party primary. There's a real problem in these major urban areas where you've got a bunch of leftist progressive, I quite frankly say freakazoid judges, because that's what they do. They just can't let people out like popcorn there too. Mm-hmm. And these people go back and, and seriously injure or, or, or kill people because they're not locked up. And look, I believe in America, land of the second chances, but after the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth bond, and you're already out on a capital murder bond, you can't let them out again. They're a danger to society. And I'm sorry, they have to be locked up. Now, that's a big issue in the Democratic Party. And to this day, as much as we can pass that bill out of the Senate, Senator Huffman has, you know, we can't get two thirds of the of the House uh, to go along with it because the House Democrats will not vote for, you know, uh, vote for a, a crackdown on bond capability because too many people think that you should get a bond no matter what. But, you know, if you're a danger to society, you've proven it. You Sorry, you shouldn't. And and so this frothy environment, we've lost our way. And and so I I'm I may be like the I think I am the last Republican urban senator, mm-hmm. but I enjoy these fights because I know I get a lot of response from independents and 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 moderate even liberal Democrats that this stuff is wrong, but they have a difficult time standing up and saying that in their own party primary. But but so I don't have a problem asking the AG to say what is is because if if we can allow 254 counties to do what Harris is doing, and they're all going to try to uplift everybody, then get out your zip codes and find out where you need to live so you can get a piece of free government cash coming out. Well, and it's not just those efforts. I mean, I, we, we may be losing our cities. You know, I live in San Antonio where they, they put on the ballot to legalize marijuana and abortion. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of proposals. But that's why that's why we had what we call the Death Star bill, the preemption bill. Right. Because we tried to stop that. Uh Now, that's a bill I heard in the committees because you just, you know, you you can't have home rule cities writing ordinances purposely trying to override state law. You also can't have counties in that at all unless we say, okay, we give you the authority, the state as your our, our agent to do certain things. But I think that What's boiling down on all of this is that the there's so much consternation about the border. There's so much problems with federal immigration policy because we don't have one. We have no legal immigration system effectively at this point that's being enforced, certainly not on the border. There's so much crime associated with it, so much drug trafficking, human trafficking, et cetera, that that issue is finally broken through. And it's broken through politically on a national level where there's protest in AOC's Brooklyn district or in Michigan right. or in Chicago because people have had enough. And I and I think that the best public policy is always recognizing the obvious that if you have a wide open border, you have enormous downstream complications, you know, not just the border states, because seven million people or plus, or whatever the number is, we no one knows, uh, you know, live everywhere. And 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 so I, I've really seen a sea change in Texas government. You know, we're ready to stand up. You've seen the proclamation from the governor. Lieutenant governor has been pushing 
strong border legislation really for years. Um, and some of it is forever. He's the first person that committed the yeah. eight hundred million. Yeah, right. And and but also importantly, like Senate Bill Four, uh, which uh, I was a co-author on with Senator Perry, we're purposely trying to say if we have people on the border that see a crossing, we could do something about it mm -hmm. um, because the feds will do nothing. And uh, so. Uh, with that now boiling all of this cauldron of politics, we're going to have the, uh, along with several others, you're going to have probably the most frothy political year, really, uh, since, uh, you know, since uh, maybe since World War II. So you're an urban guy. I'm an urban person. Do you think Republicans can make headway? I mean, I, I thought the election of Whitmar was a good sign. Whitmar's Democrat, no question. But he's not Sheila Jackson Lee. Well, that's, you know, when people came to me and they said, why are you doing ads for John Whitmire? I said, well, it's real simple. I've watched John. I know he voted for property tax relief and I know he's against crime and he's two for two. Now take or, Sheila. She's like over 20 on any issue that I know of on a public policy basis. But it wasn't just John. See, this is where Uncle Paul comes in. We, you know, we helped several people right below and... Um, uh, and that's kind of my skunk works, you know, down in Houston. So uh, Julian Ramirez, uh -huh. first Hispanic uh, Republican elected since 1998, since Orlando Sanchez left. Right. Um, Willie Davis. Right. First black Republican since Reconstruction on city of uh, Houston. Uh, uh, you know, Twyla Carter, uh, uh, somebody who worked with the Astros, knew really how difficult it was for businesses to deal with City Hall, quite frankly, how corrupt it was become. She won. And, and so now in the nation's third largest city, there are now three Republican at large city council members and, and, and over twice that many now on council. So yes, you can do it. But again, what did they run on? Well, they ran on crime. They ran on property taxes. They ran on issues that make a difference to people. So to the urban Republicans out there, and you and I have been in a lot of trenches, in mm -hmm. a lot of fights. If you look for doing real things for real people, that's where you gain back the voters in urban areas because they don't want high crime. They don't want high taxation. They don't like the corruption they see. So if you stand up on those, you'll attract voters. And... Uh, and I mean, that's a huge win. Look, it's that win is um, should have been recognized coast to coast because it's the also a foundation for a future conservative urban party. Mm -hmm. When you look at the demographics, the background, prosecutor, pastor, business, you know, corporate, whatever, all the mixtures that it took to win those seats. And, and, and there was a lot of a lot of people that won single member districts as well. Yeah, I. I... Maybe it was Bill Maher was talking about in, in a survey that he did with everybody over the holidays and asked what they wanted in 2024 in terms of politics across the spectrum. Everybody just said sanity. That's it. Just common sense, just sanity. Right. No, I agree. Because you could boil down, crack down on crime, keep dangerous criminals off the streets, don't tax people out of their homes, which is a big part of SB2. Uh -huh. um, you know, and, uh, and all these other reforms as, as sanity. Just like we could say, you know, universal basic income is socialism. Um, and, and that's what we need to do. We cannot give up these urban areas. We have to fight. We have to fight with good public policy. And most people love sanity because 
they because that's where a place where they can raise a family in a sane place as opposed to an insane one. Right, right. Well, what since you've been in the Senate now, what, so almost 10 years? Oh, eight years and counting. Eight years and counting. Ninth year, maybe. What are you most proud of? Is it the obvious? Is it SB2? Is it the obvious? Or are there are you, because you had a huge portfolio of things that you would just say, oh, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do that. What well, I think one thing that we did was taking away a corrupt elections administrator has long-term benefits in Harris County. Because like several places in the U.S., you know, Elections administrators decided that being a socialist meant they didn't have to perform and they didn't have to do things fairly, even though I know that's shocking for people that think socialism means fairness. No, it doesn't. Now, but... uh, Which is a real problem that people don't know what socialism means. That's that's huge. Now... We got to work on that. Well, we are. And (laughs) we've got some, I think, some interesting things coming out in curriculum uh, as an education committee member that will try to turn that battleship around after 20 years. So... Taking that back and giving it back to elected officials, because, again, you had Republicans saying corrupt appointed official, give it back to the elected Democrat and tax assessor who happened to be black Democrat women. Well, that's that actually turned out to be a lot better deal quickly because performance mattered again. Now, but of course, the the lifetime thing is the 18 billion dollar property tax relief bill. Uh, this year, passed. That's right, passed. Now, I never thought that giving away eighteen billion dollars would be so complicated, because <laughs> everybody had an idea. But, uh, but, but that's a uh, generational impact bill, uh, and primarily because of the homestead exemption changes, which helps keep seniors and middle income or working class people in their homes, mm-hmm. which I think is very important long term. Uh, we have to have a public policy that stresses home ownership. If you don't have some form of faith-based reasoning coupled with some place that people can raise their family in a safe environment, mm-hmm. okay, then um, you you lose a lot of what the American dream has been all about. And uh, so I'm really proud of that bill. And we got that bill out of the Senate unanimously. Didn't quite pass the House unanimously. There's always naysayers somewhere. Right. Uh, but. Uh, but that's uh, that that's really great to see the reaction that we've had, and especially for people that have been over 65, because one of the things that people wouldn't have known is that there's approximately 5.72 million homesteads in the state. 60% of them live paycheck to paycheck. Now, so $1,200, hundred bucks tax-free, you know, on, you don't have to pay. Because the, the biggest tool as a tax writer you can do is an exemption. You keep your money. Don't give it to government because it's very because it's hard to get it back. Trust me. And and that money going into people's pockets means they do have, you know, uh, they've got health care money, education money, even, you know, great entertainment money, whatever that they can use for their families. Um, and we have that so many people close to the wire. Um, so. Uh, it, it's just been great the response. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 one of the things that will bring us back together that will save See? the cities. And, and you know, I I I get uh, I get a little twitchy when we talk about the Republican base all being in the rural areas because most well, the, the, most of the people don't live there. <laughs> no, because look, I I mean I've got a district that goes from really urban to you know through suburban to you know what's the rural southwest corner of Montgomery County. Sure. Now, um, 
you know, the farther north I go, the more uh, the percentage of Trump voters I have. Okay, uh-huh. but if you leave behind forty percent, forty five percent, these huge swaths of Republicans that are stranded in big cities, um, it, it's very difficult to put together long term uh, wins statewide, because if Let's say, uh, you know, Harris County can occasionally vote, you know, for judges down ballot that are Republicans now. That's a great point, because if instead of getting 40 some odd percent of the vote, they only get 30. Well, quite frankly, there's not enough Republicans in rural areas to make it up because those population demographics are declining. The suburban and, you know, know, urban areas are the ones that are gaining in population. So, look, you just want people that are of the same value, public policy, conservatism to be in the coalition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 but keeping people in their homes is, is one of the number one things. So I love the $100,000 homes, that exemption. Um, that was worth fighting. We had a lot of opposition, had a lot of bills vetoed because of it. But, you know, what was interesting is on the, all those vetoes, it just kind of drove the Senate together because everybody was convinced we had good public policy. And of course, you do real things for real people, and you get good public policy. That's good politics. It's very interesting watching that the deliberation between the Senate and the House and the different processes. Of course, there's not very many of you. You all represent <laughs> a million people, more than right, con- huge swaths. More of than Congress, more than Congress. And we are actually in in session more. Uh huh. Because we never had a, a year where we had a regular session, four special sessions, much less an impeachment. Right. Well, I have two more things I want to ask you. First, uh, we haven't talked about, and we did talk about before, the ongoing war, which we're uh, we're involved with here at TPPF uh, against diversity, equity, and inclusion on our college campuses. You mean another three-letter? Another in, in, three-letter, in, CRT, D, whatever, ESG, all of, of the wokeness yeah, in, in the country. Yeah, Newsom declared that he was for all those things, so I think his career is over. Well, you know, who knows? We, we'll leave that to the California voters or whoever. Right. Um, look, no, we're it's... Part of the what I love well, about Well, let me just ask oh, you a sorry, better question. question. I'll ask you a better question. So your alma mater, along with uh, most of our flag uh, flagship schools, have you can minor in lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer studies. It's not a major; it's a minor. So, uh, which I, I, what do you do with that degree? Where do you take that? I mean, is that you put it on your resume? I would not to, put my money into no. I would not put my money into that degree, Sherry. So I don't know <laughs> so where you take re- it. We 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 have worked. TBPF uh, has has looked a lot at the issue of return on investment in terms of colleges and junior colleges. Sure, pushing a lot for student outcomes. But uh, where where do you get with that? I mean, it's not. I mean, interesting books to read, perhaps. Well, but but here's been a real problem, and I think Texas has been right on the forefront of trying to stop this. You look at DEI. Um, corporate went into DEI so strongly that they had vice presidents of diversity, equity, you know, et cetera, in almost every major corporation in America. Now, it's actually a funny story that Tillman Fertitta told me he was about ready to sell out, and somebody called and said, Hey, who, where's your DEI vice president? And he goes, I don't have one. And he goes, What do you mean you don't have one? And he started thinking, why do I want to sell out in this environment? Now, when I look at some of the people from Wall Street standing up and saying, hey, we've had enough, I think it's great to see this debate coming back. Because, look, 
quite frankly, uh, this a DI minor, which I guess is what this is, I'm not sure, uh-huh. um, is, is not something that we should be encouraging. It's not a productivity enhancement tool, the way it's being put together. Um, and uh, I expect that uh, Chairman Grayton's going to have hearings on all of this, uh, what few hearings we have this year, because we've already been working all of last year. Um, but because you really have to just stand, step back and say, why? And I'm not afraid to ask the question. Uh, you've got a lot of people that do get afraid to ask it. Now, there, when you get into this area, one of the problems, quite frankly, we got a problem with the faculty senates. I mean, these are the people that really kind of set these agendas. It's people think, oh, well, it's the university president. No, this type of stuff gets approved by faculty senates. And I think they've got too much power. Uh, I've seen too much from this, you know. And quite frankly, um, a lot of leftist progressive socialists jumped into higher education because, you know, it's not like you have to meet a payroll every week, okay, or every other week. So... Uh, so I expect that there's going to be some guidance that will come down on these issues, and there needs to be. I, the DEI debate, to me, was just an example of what we have to fight. But Senate didn't stop there, because we went and did ESG too. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, you know, Senator Hughes takes the committee that we're all we all go to Marshall, Texas, and you know, BlackRock and every Vanguard, they all come in, and only one company doesn't knuckle under, which is BlackRock. Uh, but everybody else decided, you know, we'll get rid of environmental so social governance and we'll just have a G. So they now market that in the heartland uh -huh. states. So you can put pressure and say, we have got to get back to energy projects that produce revenue. That's really what that debate was about. Because they were saying no more Texas energy projects because we're in like natural gas. Oh boy, we're horrible. Okay. But no, you have to stand up and say, that's it. And this DEI stuff should have never been launched the way it was. So I'm I'm very happy to be a co-sponsor of that bill. Pull it out by its roots. We, we we have lost what makes America great, and and what makes America. Oh, that great. could be a slogan. Yeah, we've lost what America. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you're a marketing person. You're right. Could be. So we need to get it back. And and the Texas Senate's place to do that. We do have partisan votes in the Senate, and they're knockdown dragout debates. But that's that's but most of what we do is like what we do with the grid, which is try to fix it. But but I, this is the debate worth having. Um, the leftist progressives are wrong. DEI does not work. CRT does not work. These three letter acronyms don't work. OK, but letting Americans work for a living backed on a merit based promotion system that nobody's discriminated against. And because as long as I've worked in corporate America, tax office my whole life, I only had one litmus test, the value work performed. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't care about anything else. But you've got to perform. We have to get back to that. Yeah. It's 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 the it's the, the Generation Z people, they kind of have driven this and they they one of the things they said was they want the companies they work for to reflect these values. And now they're finding that, you know, the country doesn't reflect these values. That's the craziness of their getting in the streets and uh, rallying on behalf of the Hamas. And I sure. guess they're out in favor of the Houthis now too. 
Well, you know, look, because there's never, look, no, there's quite frankly, there's always a second or third rate Arabian Peninsula faction that's capable of, you know, throwing bombs at somebody. And, you know, that's what the Houthis are. And, you know, it took the Biden administration months to not even respond. You know, it's just, look, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, but, uh, but, as long as I'm going to keep my eyes on public policy that makes a difference. Because one of the things about the $18 billion, I got an award out at ALEC, which is the American Legislative Council. Uh-huh. The The Speaker of the Florida House quipped that most states don't even have an $18 billion budget, much less can give back $18 billion. <laughs> But one of the funnier things is during the summer, uh, uh, Governor DeSantis came. And he was very proud of that $2.7 billion tax cut they had cobbled together. And the Texas delegations at the back saying 18, 18, 18 <laughs> loudly. And he probably thought it was something about the drinking age or who knows, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but even the Speaker of the House said, yes, everything in Texas is bigger. So we uh, we got our, uh, our, our due there, but um, only because uh, uh, we, we, we've had a lieutenant governor uh, that... Uh, if that leads. And uh, as somebody who's been a long-term friend, uh, it's been uh, great working with him in and out of office because the good news is we haven't always been in public office. Um, and that private sector experience really helps you sort the wheat from the chaff. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's clear. Well, tell me, you know, one, another thing we work on here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation is uh, we are taking a look at what's going to be in those new textbooks and the TEKS and the curriculum. So I understand you're going to be in there uh, talking about Twitter. What's the deal? Or X. Yes, there is right, no X. Twitter. Well, apparently... Um, you know, I try to do my best with social media, as you know, because you we repeat each other's stuff from time <laughs> to time. And uh, um, a, a tweet that we did on the uh, main voter integrity bill uh, apparently is going to be part of uh, a textbook because oh, cool. we because we laid out, you know, whose bill it was. I was a co-sponsor. Everybody was for it. What its major highlights were. And apparently we're we're we're, we're it's going to be contrasting how the two. Political parties do their social messaging. The good news is that was a good message, okay? At least for my political party. And uh, uh, so, uh, but I tell you, I am excited about some of the reforms we made as an education committee. This is public ed, not, we've been talking higher ed. Right, yeah. Um, and I expect there's going to be some pretty good changes in curricula coming out soon um, because we need to go back and teach people that socialism isn't fairness, that working hard for uh, a job is a good thing. Um, you know, maybe even considering the Bible to be like a source of good literature. It's kind of hard to read 18th and 19th and 20th century literature if you don't have some reference to, uh, you know, to uh, to the Bible. Um, so I'm or looking look at art. Or... Yeah, or art or anything, you know. Yeah. So, so, so I, I think uh, there's some good improvements coming there. I'm sorry that it took a uh, took the time to get it reversed, but you know, uh, there's only 19 of us on the Republican side in the Senate, um, and so we're working as hard as we can on all these issues. Well, Senator, we're so glad you're there. So glad you joined us today on the Sherry Sylvester, the Sherry Sylvester Show. Pod Show. 
podcast. You can get the Sherry Sylvester podcast at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive my Ninth in Congress newsletter, you can sign up <laughs> at the TPPF website, www.texaspolicy.com, Ninth in Congress. You can follow me on X at Sylvester1630, and you can listen to me every Friday morning on Talk 1370 in Austin. You can also hear Senator Betancourt on Fridays at 700 KSEV in Houston, the Three Amigos Show. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.